everybody wants to do it once and have it yes be brilliant and be over with it's like it's that that constant practice uh, especially in the application and the painting that turns mediocre work into to brilliant work So one of the books I bought this weekend at the show was uh, Michael Westfall's new book. I got one of those too. Did you get yours signed? I did. That was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. So we bought a copy of Makeup Man each in the hardback. Oh, I am going to read it on the plane. <laughs> I would read mine on the plane, but it's a night flight, so I want to get some sleep. So we're still driving back from Casamikash to the airport. We're driving through town, because apparently Waze thinks this is the right way to go. We'll see how that goes. I'm sure Waze, Waze is wise. The highway is probably jammed. So we had a good chat. We spoke not only, well, I didn't realize that 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 was the son when you first introduced me to, but um, we spoke to Michael Westmore and we also spoke to his son who. Michael Jr. Who was developing um, some amazing adhesives, which I have a sample of, which I'm excited to try out. Yeah, they have a bunch of new stuff in the works. They're going to be a player. Very cool. So we've got, we had this opportunity and uh, someone like Michael Westmore didn't take lightly. So we managed to arrange a, a quiet spot in the oh, bar a, of the hotel. What a legacy family. Oh my God. It was incredible. Because I have read um, The Westmores of Hollywood, uh, the book, um, a while ago. And there were a couple of things in it I, I recall I wanted to discuss with him to make sure I have my facts right. And, um, and then we just sat down for good 20 25 minutes just well his, isn't talking. his family from where you grew up no apparently they one of them came from canterbury which is my hometown back in kent in england and he was talking about uh, he visited there recently which was kind of fun to hear but um yeah him and his lovely wife who i remember uh i was at a trade show uh three years ago i think it was the mad the mads trade show in Düsseldorf, and and he was there and uh, again, it's always that kind of thing where people kind of ask him questions and, uh, you know, detain everybody, <coughs> de- detain his family while, yeah. while he has to, you know, he's kind of obliged to answer these questions to oh people who are fans of his work. So thank you very much for, for, for tolerating yet another round of questions from a wide-eyed fanboy. But um, I think it was a good chat. We had a yeah, good discussion. it sure was. And, and we actually got both Michael Westmore's involved. Which was very... I think it was important because... It's, it's passing that on, and obviously the, the, the things that Michael Sr. will have experienced will hopefully have informed why these products get produced and, you know, the, the problems oh, that we certain, overcome. certainly proud of Junior. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I hope you enjoy it. So, Monsterpalooza, this is my first Monsterpalooza. I've never been to one of these before. They've gotten bigger every single year. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And just I'm, so many things. Grow, I mean, growing into thousands of attendance now, as opposed to maybe hundreds. Of uh, yeah, tens of thousands, as opposed to what it was in the beginning. Yeah. Well, I heard they even shut it down for a while last year because there were so many Yeah, they did. Yeah. You couldn't move over in Burbank. Here, you can move. In Burbank, it got to the point where it would jam up and you couldn't get through it. And my first one was number two when they were still over at the Marriott. Mm-hmm. And it was it was almost claustrophobic. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
You get your your pocket picked real easy. Yeah, but at the time, uh, PPI I think was the only makeup booth in the show it was strictly collectible at that point. Uh, it could, yeah, in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, uh, Mel Mel had a booth pretty pretty soon on also. But now it's really morphed into something. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. What amazes me is that the amount of people that. Because now, because of social media, a lot of people want to use it like makeup as a, a way of becoming a celebrity, which is an unusual thing because I've been doing it only 23 years and when I started it wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure even more so for you. And it's quite weird how like the work, the hard work that's involved in it doesn't necessarily become the focus anymore. I guess because that's you know, lower hanging fruit, it's easier to sell to. Yeah. It's interesting how I see a lot of people kind of coming at things and they're coming, and then the question is answered by saying, You just need to be better at something or do it another 20 times or get your hands dirty. Everybody wants to do it once and have it yes. be brilliant and be over with. It's yes. like it's that, that constant practice, uh, especially in the application and the painting, yeah. that turns mediocre work into to brilliant work. Yes. And it's just that it's, not, it's liking it enough to do it when no one's looking, do you know what I mean? Rather than doing it thinking that there's some kind of currency in doing so. Mm -hmm. You do it because you love it and you want to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And you know, starting out simply from things. Because I remember trying to do things with grease paint, and it's a good skill, you know, lightning yeah. shadow. And the thing I found with makeup is I started again from that prosthetic side of it. I was more interested in the art of the sculpting, the molding, and that's how I kind of started. Right. But then as I got more refined and what got away from the gory stuff, it was using highlight and shadow to enhance appliances so you could perhaps sculpt something that's not as heavy and make it look more or less mm -hmm. by painting it like you would do with highlight and shadow on skin. Well, I know when I, when I was teaching um, and I would give the students kind of like an option of doing what they wanted to create and what they wanted to do and most all of them wanted to do automobile accidents with lots of blood. Mm -hmm. So you find you have to start directing and giving them a challenge as opposed to letting them do their own because <laughs> most people go towards gore. Yeah. I they, guess because it's an easy thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's that dopamine spot. And yeah. People like it. Oh, well, they yeah. think just throwing a bunch of blood on something is going to make a good gore makeup. Yeah. 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 But it's harder yeah. to do those You things. need to, yeah, if the anatomy's wrong, it's not going to work. Yeah. I think also having an appreciation of what character is in order to be able to decide what should be hair, what should be performance, what could be teeth, mm -hmm. what could be lenses. Well, the idea is to make a whole character. Yes. And that's that's where contact lenses and teeth and uh, lace eyebrows and um, the, the textures. We have so many paints now uh, to be able to use different mediums, um, the alcohol-based paints. Um, the air, all the airbrushes. I mean, airbrush was hardly used until around 1986 or so. Uh, it, it was just used a little bit. Yeah, more of an illustration to it. Yeah, and then when we started to do the Borgs on Star Trek in about 1989, uh, I found that because they were just pale with uh, shadows mm -hmm. that every makeup artist had a different technique some good, some bad mm -hmm. some bad to the point where we had to fix them and do them because there wasn't any uh, common denominator even though you could tell them put the base on and shadow and do this and blend it out and blending was a 
term that it didn't sink into everybody, and some of them would actually turn into muddy messes. Yeah. So that's that was the point on Star Trek where we turned into using an airbrush, because that way I could uh, have the artist put the basic base and colors on, and I could airbrush it in two minutes, mm -hmm. because it was just easy to control. Uh, Comart smoky color was went on all of them, mm -hmm. but then it was also there was a, a continuity to it and a look that uh, although the other ones were all individuals but the Borgs weren't individuals yeah they were cookie cutters that's right it was the whole thing wasn't it with the Borgs yeah. but it, it suited that that look but it's that thing where then if someone sees an airbrush they kind of take it wholesale and start using it perhaps unnecessarily in the wrong way whereas that is the right <coughs> job but that's not what everything mm -hmm. has to be like you say where you get these like lines where it's beautifully smooth colour foundations and then they're completely different colours and like yeah. you know, newsreader kind of like disjointed thing yeah which is fun uh, yeah I remember that in the uh, the Joe Nazara book I picked up the next generation book with that and then seeing the Borg things in there and uh, mm -hmm. there wasn't really a lot of shows that had huge amounts of appliances at the time and I think that's quite interesting to see like huge amounts of appliances and every week different characters mm -hmm. so it kind of generated a lot so you're probably responsible for that interest because it hit about the time I was watching TV as a kid and seeing these things and wanting to create lots of characters but you'd see a turnover of you know, new appliances and there weren't a lot of shows was that Alien Nation I think Alien Nation and Star Trek was pretty much it that I can recall V was, was a bit before my time five. yeah but not much it wasn't Buffy, Buffy. well that yeah. came after it yeah. that was, again I think that was things like Star Trek that sort of established that as a thing and then propagate the whole generation but that's I think that kind of my my problem is a lot of people then get excited or distracted by the, all the pretty prosthetics and then they kind of forget what it's about which is to create a character which is what right. it goes back to figuring out how to do that and I don't know part of why I'm interested in when I sort of talk to people and think about things is trying to get to the bottom if people have makeup problems get to the bottom what is they're trying to achieve and normally they want to stick a thing on and then you pick it apart and deconstruct the question and actually they're kind of approaching it from a, a, a preconceived version of how things should be rather than think what is the character mm -hmm. how do we get about it mm -hmm. is that something I mean when you were trained when you grew up obviously you were surrounded by it so you were all that kind of thing the training I think was a lot more thorough and a lot more went on for longer whereas courses that are shorter now is well, I, I was able do. to go through an apprenticeship <coughs> yes. that took three years. And now you, the only way to really learn is to go to a makeup school. Yes. And the courses are six weeks, eight weeks. They teach you how to make a mold. Uh, you don't get the repetition. In a rudimentary way. Yeah. Like you get basics. Yeah. You get basics, and then it's, you're on your own. Yeah. Where mine went, I was actually able to study, like with John Chambers. Uh, the man that got the Oscar for Planet of the Apes, and I was his apprentice for three years. So he taught me. He done, John was actually a dental technician, so he taught me how to make teeth and everything. So it was um, everything except contact lenses. When and did I, the apprenticeships kind of disappear? Uh, mid '60s. They just kind of filtered out. Um, it's like all of a sudden they felt that too many people were being uh, favored, and so the, uh, the the government actually stepped in. Yeah, and uh, 
tried to change the landscape of things. Live, yeah, tremendously. Well, I had heard it that it was, it was getting an apprenticeship in the industry was tougher than getting an appointment to one of the military academies. Yeah, because <laughs> every studio basically only had one, uh, maybe two overlapping or something. But that's all, because you, you did the paperwork and you did ordering and you did all those things, and then s stand around and literally watch the, the makeup artists do the work, mm -hmm. and then in the afternoons then you were on your own to start practicing, you know, getting uh, uh, secretaries to do practice beauty makeup on or getting somebody else to sit long enough to glue a beard on them and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then you had the makeup artist to, do, to look at it and judge it for you and tell you what you've done wrong. Mm -hmm. So which is it's it's kind of a way that it's still done in the school, but there isn't really enough time to hone your talent. It has to be you're on your own to, to practice on yes. on your friends and family and whatever afterwards. Yeah. And I mean if you're really enthusiastic and wanting to do that, you have to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you don't survive. I think the other danger is when I've towards some makeup schools, not all of them, but occasionally there's, there's a couple of things I notice. One is I think some people go into makeup because they think it's an easy option as makeup schools because no one goes into medical or law for an easy ride. Right. There are some people who go, well, I wear makeup, how hard can it be? So and money, thinking, thinking that there's a lot of money involved, and, yeah. uh, which is actually the totally wrong reason yes. to do it at all. Yeah. And the other thing I... I I don't know if it's true, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously with an apprenticeship, the onus is on you to pull your weight and achieve, otherwise presumably you don't remain an apprentice. No, I mean, you, you could. I, I don't know of any that actually, and I'm sure there was a couple along the way that either got bored. Yeah, well, actually, the man that was an apprentice uh, with Review Studios when I was with Universal, so we, used, we had each other to practice on, but Ron got the opportunity to have a bit part in a television show and he gave up his apprenticeship to go do this thinking this was going to open the world up to him yeah. to be an actor right. and it didn't work oh. but you wouldn't, I mean I, d I don't know if you recall if there were any because of the, the nature of how difficult it was to get one mm -hmm. whether if someone was slacking off and they just weren't doing a good job as an apprentice you could in theory get rid of them yeah. Whereas if you paid to go on a course, it's very hard yeah. to fire people off. So it changes the balance of power. Do you yeah. know what I mean? If you yeah. are an apprentice, you have to fight and kick and scream to keep it and yeah. don't work hard so that it generates very, very good work. Right? <laughs> Some of the best apprentices came out of MGM, but Bill Tuttle insisted the first thing a person had to do when they took on their apprenticeship was go to art school because Bill was a wonderful artist himself outside of makeup. And uh, you had to go to art school and show him the work, the painting, whether it's a landscape or whatever, just to see, you know, the the insight that you, you would saw have. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's interesting as well, like the amount of beauty makeup and stuff. Obviously, you had to do the whole run of all kinds of makeup. Yes. Um, when I first, when I was very young, I found out about makeup. I was surprised that a lot of men were makeup artists. All men. men. Didn't wear. All men. All men. Union. So, uh, that's the way it started out. Men were makeup artists and women were hairstylists. And then when that was officially broken up, there was a whole turnover in it. Is that this big flood of women came into makeup and a big flood of men went into hairstyling. And so today it's about, I think it's, last time I asked, about 50-50. Right. 
Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. It's really good. That's big stuff. Yeah. Hair is something I've, I've been able to make a career out of doing pieces about my hair is something I really should learn mm -hmm. because it, you know, I mean, hair laying is good and I use that for characters, the hair styling and that kind of stuff. But you would, would you ever, did you ever do any hair at all? Was it just restricted to hair pieces or? No, uh, wigs, mustaches. Yeah. Not wigs, uh, must beards, hair mustaches, yeah. sideburns, um, toupees. Uh -huh. uh, I used to have to take it. Take care of Jimmy Stewart's toupee and Bobby Darren. Uh, clean him and dress him every night for the next day. Um, but not not full wigs as far as saying a Marie Antoinette or something like that. No, because the union didn't allow it. I couldn't have, even if I knew how to do it. I couldn't have used it yeah. unless I was working non-union independent on the outside. Yeah. Which goes on nicely to ask about your your adhesive. Because mm -hmm. Michael's Michael's new adhesive. How's that working out? It's working very well. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Because we know there was a matte version as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a game that's like, huh, eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. like, they always catch highlights. They're trying to like dampen them down and then the big powder sticks to the glue. Or yeah. You end up putting a greasy anti shine in there to kind of knock it back. Yeah. So. Yeah. Here at the, co the convention today, uh, I've had a number of people, makeup artists, come up to me and tell me how great that Michael's adhesive is because uh, it, it doesn't doesn't have an odor and it sticks like iron. Uh, one of our first tests was uh, Scott Wheeler, who worked for me on Star Trek for years. And Scott's doing films in uh, India and China. And nothing held on the actors except for this new adhesive. Good to know, because sometimes it's quite. Yeah, you get these skins where it's yeah. like it's not. I cleaned it. I primed it. <laughs> the top gun on it. It's not, you know. And then what do you do? Table gun. We're gonna make a mask. I think people lead with the prosthetic. It always looks wrong because it's not. It, it's not like the right intention to have with that character. It needs to be why you create it. You know, looking at the faces and things. But, but yeah, so much of this is. Uh, it's like the movie that won the make of Kazu that won this year. Or as Winston Churchill makeup, uh, and it's not like a full face; it's sections of pieces in the throat. Uh, but being out of silicone now, which we didn't have when I started out. Uh, in fact, most everything we did on Star Trek was latex, but with this new silicone, it's uh, it's absolutely amazing because it's so lifelike that these makeups now can literally walk on the street and nobody's going to turn around yeah. and look. You know, it's just. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the, the I would say A plus makeup artists are are be able to to use rubber and do the same thing. Yes. Uh, Dick Smith came up with KY jelly years ago, and the coat of that over the top of your makeup gave it a sheen that rubber didn't have. Mm -hmm. Silicone does. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's there's so many things that have come up over the years too. Um, in the last few decades, I think that have made a big difference. We were stuck into latex and Max Factor rubber grease for so many, I would say, decades that uh, there's been a flip, that there's so much more reality to it. And then the sculpting is so important. There's, you know, the masters that... Uh, and I, again, I'm making about the Academy Awards this year. Kazu is a, a master sculptor, and, uh, uh, like a few are. And uh, it's it's... It's made a huge difference in the film business because you're watching these movies now on big screens, and 
any anything any flaw is going to jump out at you. And yeah. it's on television now. Television's a huge. Yeah. Yeah. The fidelity of the image is so yeah. high. Yeah. That wasn't a problem 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so and much, that's, you know. that's what's interesting with Michael's adhesive, though. It. I wished I had had it on Star Trek. We could have used it. Because, you know, edges come up. And, again, that's another thing. A little thing that you can catch. I, I had a mustache come off when I was doing a Kale's Navy movie. And they filmed it, and it's it's still in the movie with this half mustache falling off. Had I had his, I'd been safe with this adhesive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tricky. It's such a shame that with the advances in, in materials we have now, mm-hmm. that there's a side of the business that's trying to CG when there's never been a better time for it to be practical. Yeah, yeah, in the long run. I think I love that still with yeah, the nothing, that nothing says real like real. So no, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't make sense to not let it be what it should be. Well, and that's what's happening now, too. Even with the silicone, instead of even uh, sometimes gluing, I think you need a little teeny spot somewhere. The hair can be punched into the silicone um, where you can take and glue a whole wig on, but those last few three-quarters of an inch can all be punched, and it just... Totally, you go rob banks, nobody's going to know who you are. Yeah, and they have. <laughs> but the, there's so many processes involved in it, it kind of almost gets fetishized. Fetishized because people become so obsessed with the intricacies of the processes, and it can be quite convoluted. You have to really learn all those things to do them well, to have yeah. second nature, and not get preoccupied with the processes because, again, all your energy goes into how they're made rather than what you're making for, whether they look yeah. right or whether that should be a, a piece at all. You know? But I think you're finding now, too, um, that there's a lot more talent uh, available, where before the unions kind of controlled it, and if you didn't belong to the union, you didn't survive, and the union at one time only had 350 members. Somebody had to die before a new member was taken in. Of course, apprentices were always taken in. But with all these independent and even non-union minds that are that are very talented and they will look at something and say you know how am I going to make that look real and they've come up with little tricks and trades so it's uh, in learning those things which is amazing and those are being shared with everybody so that's why it's I think there's much more rapid development and creativity and makeup now because there's just a lot more minds that have been put to it. Like a hive mind activity. You know? Yeah, well, again, I keep referring back to Michael's adhesive. Uh, why didn't somebody think of that before? You know, it took him to come up with it. Um, and and uh, as I told him, I said, you know, 355, which was an adhesive that Dick Smith came up with, when that was taken off the market, nobody really knew what they were going to do. I mean, other people were making adhesives that were that were sufficing. You, know, you could do it and it would work, but you had to fight it and take care of it. And there's uh, a different learning curve. A different, yeah, a different learning curve yeah. as opposed to taking a pail of adhesive and him figuring out, you know, how to make it work. How to, when you say, okay, I need to make it stronger. It has to disappear. It can't leave a shine. It has to all those things, and then you start to play with it. What chemicals am I going to use to make this all work? And that's what he did with his new product. 
with the Which probably on. wouldn't have happened if he'd become a makeup artist. <laughs> yeah, <because laughs> you know, Michael was an editor. Yeah. He was an editor on Deep Space and uh, basically stopped doing that and started to, you know, switch the mind over to the, the, the chemical side of tinkering. And thankfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't wait to try it out. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait for you to. Well, I'll let you know how it goes. Because <laughs> I'm going to try My, my favorite places. thing is, okay, Michael, do you have a sample? No, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> It's good and it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And very briefly, just to ask you about your book. I bought it today. I'm looking forward to reading that. How was that, putting that together? It took me 14 years. I started in 2003 with a pad of paper, making notes. I filled three, three legal pads, of which I have never transcribed, because it takes me from birth to college. And so they're still sitting there. So I actually started my book from my apprenticeship. And uh, I talk about my family and talk about... And I broke it down into decades. The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. And uh, I wound up with a bunch of little things that I wound up just calling snippets that come at the end of the book. And I didn't realize I had met so many people and worked with so many people over the years um, it's it was amazing just to actually go back through it again and, and Michael helped me uh, re-edit it we did it went twice went through the whole book and re-edited it um, and recovery and what and recovery and re- oh, oh, then, you, oh my god erased it okay. all. <laughs> oh, no. not only that I I didn't know how to yeah. use Word, so I wrote emails to myself, okay. and I had a stack of emails. He had to figure out how to turn the emails into Word. He scanned <laughs> all the emails and OCR'd them, and then had to reread every I, single email. I had, I had to take the headers off, yeah. the footers. <laughs> I had two inches of emails. <laughs> and I'd go, what am I going to do with these now? So, but <laughs> but it's, it, it really is. The book is... Um, dealing with all the celebrities that I dealt with over the years. And I would say it's it's 99 and 99% really positive and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of two people I cross paths with, but I don't didn't cut them out of the book there. I left them in. Can't wait and to read it. It's, uh, it's just a lot of fun, you know, whether you're walking on a, a, a glacier and telling and they're telling you, don't step there. You're going to fall in there and we'll never find you again. You'll come out about 10,000 years from now. You're going, I don't want to die doing this. So and I've had a lot of those adventures along the way. that uh, They put you in kind of in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you survive it. It's, uh, whether that and when we were doing First Blood, I couldn't carry a makeup case because we were climbing mountains. I had to chase Stallone all over Hope, British Columbia. And so I had everything in a backpack, and I left my hands free to run around with squirt bottles, you know, and glycerin to shine them down and everything. And same thing in the ring with Rocky and all that. So it's um, it's just all these all these little things that that my mind focused on. Mm-hmm. I put into the book. Fantastic. Can't wait to read it. Yeah, thanks for that. That's what it was. Reliving a blast. The whole I literally 
relive my entire career. You find yourself going to those places again in yep. your head. That's cool. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. That's a good exercise, actually. Yeah. I think everyone should do that. Yeah. <laughs> Consolidate things in your head as well. But, you know, it's interesting. Some people, it's, uh, whether I was concentrating, unconsciously thinking of it, because I remember calling a makeup artist one day, and uh, I was going to do an article for Makeup Artist Magazine, and it, I wanted to bring in the makeup that Dele Cevito did on uh, uh, Scott. And I called him and started to ask him questions, and he couldn't remember anything. It was like, for some reason, I was able to retain all these little little pieces. Um, I didn't lose them. Fantastic. Well, well I'm sure everyone's been able to share it with us. Thank you very much. Appreciate My pleasure. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I thought it was fantastic. Todd and I just sat there transfixed. It was fantastic for us. And uh, and I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing it back. Uh, we, we did a lot of things there this weekend, but this was really one of the highlights. And being able to get you know our book signed was uh, you know, a bit of a fanboy moment for me, which was pretty cool. But uh, it was a really, really good time. And I hope you, uh, you know got a lot out of what Michael had to say there. So... I just want to remind you that you can subscribe to us and uh, if you have any questions, you can email the podcast direct. It's stuartandtodd at gmail.com or visit us on Facebook, which is Battles with Bits of Rubber. Just look us up and I'm sure you'll find us on Google. Thanks very much and I'll catch you on the next one.